Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, with your co-host, Pete Wall. And I've forgotten to tell you that this is, in fact, a show, a film show of three acts, Pete. Isn't that right? Um, I believe it is, Paul. I believe it is. We've now established that. That's our thing. That's our little gimmick. A film show in three acts. Um, yeah. So, Paul, what we do on this show, as you know, I don't know why we're sort of introducing each other to our own show, but what, what we do on this show is we divide it up into three parts. Those parts are going to be prefaced by a part in the show that we call uh, What Have You Been Watching? But before we get into What Have You Been Watching, which is fairly self-explanatory, um, what is the the order of things in terms of the acts of this week's show, Paul Anderson? So, yeah, so this week's show, the first act is going to be a review of, for me anyway, the much-anticipated new film from Lenny Abramson, which is little stranger uh followed by um how how have we worded this pete when we come up with this top five films with strangers in them or top five strangers films this isn't this isn't shameless self-promotion there is a film called the little stranger someone asked me actually what we were doing this week and i said the little stranger and someone's and i think it was uh in fact it was my wife and your brother pete were like little strangers is that like the sp- is like a spin-off show from strangers in the cinema i'm like no yeah no, it's we're, not. we're lining uh, that up for our yet unborn yeah. children but, to, but uh, Loic said it'd be a great idea just to like the little strangers be just kids doing film reviews which actually would be quite sweet i can imagine and probably a lot more entertaining than us talking but it's not going to be that guys i'm sorry about that it is a review of lenny abrams little stranger and top five films with strangers in or top five strangers films as such yeah so so what you've come to know and trust of our show is that at the beginning of the show we will needlessly explain our own show to ourselves and you because you probably already know how it works then one or both of us might <laughs> slag off our own show and then we'll be take all all of this sort of inordinate amount of time to get to the point which is that as paul says today we've got a major review it is uh, the little stranger from lenny abramson but connected with that in the middle of the show in act two we're going to do this top five st- movies featuring strangers i think is how you originally pitched it so yep. that works for me man and the tie-in to strange in a cinema i mean that's cool that's all gravy but then in the third part of the show usually we'd have some kind of look ahead this time what we're going to do is look ahead to what paul and i are up to at the weekend we're doing separate things but both kind of interesting in their own ways i think so we'll get to that in due course before all of that paul anderson please tell me what have you been watching recently and get us out of this sorry excuse for an intro yes i will <laughs> Uh, right, first up then is, uh, I was very, very lucky enough to see, it's, I think it's the 20th anniversary of Big Lebowski, it can't be the 30th, it's got to be the 20th anniversary of Big Lebowski, uh, I got to see Big Lebowski at the big screen, Pete, which was great, or big screen Lebowski, if I'm trying to be uh, trying to be witty there. Um, yeah, it's a film that featured on my top 10 favourite films of all time list um, a few weeks back, um, and I talked about it a bit on there, but yeah, for me, it's just the, the Coen brothers... Um, and their incredible cast in this, uh, at the absolute peak of their powers, really. I don't think the film has aged a day. Um, it still feels just as fresh um, as when we first watched it, which was incredible. Um, it's just very, very funny. Jeff Bridges, as the dude, uh, is iconic uh, in his character and in his role. Um, you've got John Goodman, I don't, again, probably never better than he is as the um, grizzled Vietnam vet, Walter. Um, who else is in this? Steve Peterson. Peter um, Peter Peter Stormare turns up as a as a, a nihilist um, in a very very funny role. You've got who else is? It's just an incredible cast. But yeah, Big Lebowski, incredible to see it on the big screen. And I talked a bit about it before, so I won't rattle on about it too much here. But again, if you yeah, if you do get a chance to see it on the big screen, it is worthwhile. 
I'll tell you why yeah. it's... Yeah, go on, sorry. Well, I was going to say, Paul, just um, I thought you were wrapping up, so sorry to cut across you, but I was just going to say, where does this sit in terms of your um, Coen Brothers movie hierarchy? Oh, number one, without a doubt. I think this... For real? Yeah, I just, I just really... There's something about this that just works for me. I've, it's, It would be very closely run with No Country for Old Men, I have to say, because I also think that is an incredible, incredibly well-made film, but very, very different to Big Lebowski. Um, yeah, and it, just going back to what I said, it's just nice to see it on the big screen because... It's one of those films I was like, I'm in an R in. Do I need to see? There's certain films where you think, do I need to see this at the cinema? And it was quite a cold evening. I was like, can I be asked to go out? I was like, no, I will make the effort to go and see this at the cinema. And I'm glad I did actually because I hadn't seen it at the cinema when it first came out. I think I would would have argued been been probably too young to appreciate it at that point. But what really works are some of the, the the dream sequences, the bowling scenes. You actually feel quite woozy and you get more into those. And those actually have a, those do have a much bigger impact on the uh, on on the viewer on the big screen so it was yeah it was very nice to uh, very nice to get the chance to watch it so um yeah if you do get a chance to see it on the big screen don't avoid it definitely check it out um right what have i got next uh this is um my favorite it's favorite might be the right no it will be favorite because it's certainly not the best uh, this is one of my favourite ridiculous high concept uh, 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Pete. Um, this is, of course, The Running Man, um, based on a Stephen King, I think it's a short story, writing as Richard Bachman, based on a Stephen King short story, um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Ben Richards, or Ben Richards, I think it's Ben Richards, um, who is supposed to be the butcher of Bakersfield. Um, he is set up for a crime he did not commit and then has to run to spare his life in this futuristic reality tv show where convicts run away from gladiators essentially so imagine gladiators pete but where everyone dies i think everyone listening has probably seen running man at some point so you've got schwarzenegger i might just imagine the film running exactly yeah schwarzenegger who just cannot stop quipping in this and has some incredible one-liners and also some absolutely terrible one-liners in it Uh, i think at one point he looks at the camera and says was Sub-Zero, now plain Zero. I don't get that, but for some reason it makes me laugh. Um, and you've got Jesse the Body Ventura here uh, appears in this as well. Your favourite your favorite macho man from Predator there, Pete, I think. So it reunites those two. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, the film completely loses its way in the second half, but the concept, I think, is great of this ridiculous, overblown, uh, highly rated TV show where everyone's trying to kill Schwarzenegger. Um, that's a lot of fun. The film doesn't take itself too seriously, which is great. So for me, it's a bit of a camp cult classic. And if you haven't checked out The Running Man, whether you like the film or not, you will certainly have a good time watching it. I can assure you of that much. I've got another one to talk about, haven't I, Pete? Well, don't sound so excited about it. You sound like you've blown yourself out <laughs> in your first two little mini reviews there. I have. I've got quite it's excited about It's a marathon, about the not a sprint, there. dude. I should know. Oh, oh, indeed. Indeed. I see what you've done there. Uh, yeah, so the other one I've watched this week that I wanted to talk about was uh, Michael Mann. Uh, I've said this the wrong way around because Michael Mann's Manhunter is quite a mouthful, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, this is Manhunter directed by Michael Mann, which is a film I haven't seen for some time. Um, people may more may well be uh, aware of the remake, which was... Well, not, not a remake. The um, Brett Ratner's Red Dragon, which adapted the same... Uh, Thomas Harris book but Manhunter came many many years before that and is considerably better than Red Dragon Uh, this is a 1986 effort and it's the first time Hannibal Lecter was committed to screen Uh, played in this case by Brian Cox Um, we've got William Peterson who plays the uh, detective trying to work out the the is it Buffalo Bill oh is it Buffalo Bill in this I don't think it is 
we've got William Peterson from CSI fame playing the detective that tries to work out a series of murderers played by um, the Red Dragon Killer, which is who's played incredibly well by Tom Newman, Tom Noonan here, who is just an absolutely terrifying psychopath. Um, and it's really, really good, Pete. If you haven't seen it, I urge you to check it out. For me, it's just a very, very tight, very, very stylized 80s thriller um, with an incredible soundtrack that just makes it really, really stand out. Um, and is more than a match of more than a match for Silence of the Lambs for me. Have you seen this, Pete? Have you seen Manhunter? years ago? Yeah, a university times, I, I believe. Okay, and I think there is there's a lot to be said because as much as I like Anthony Hopkins' performance in in Silence of the Lambs, I think there's something quite well, there is something that I would say intentionally campy and over the top about his his Hannibal Lecter um, that for me makes him not that scary. And I know a lot of people say that's a terrifying performance. And like the scenes where he's talking to Clarissa are terrifying. I don't really get scared by those. Whereas I think what Brian Cox does with the character, um, it gives it gives a more of a sort of detached, nonchalant evil, which I think is a bit more effective in this film than it is in Sons of Lambs. But that's not to criticise either. Both are very, very good. Um, and again, if you're fans of stylish, stylish 80s cinema, then you can't go wrong with Manhunter. Um, that's pretty much me out as I've bumbled my way through that section. What have you got? Pete? Well, as I said, we always promise to uh, slag off our own show. Uh, I'm going to keep it nice and, and concise because I have not been watching many films recently. It was the same thing I said last week, actually. Uh, training has been ramping up. I've got to run an awfully long way uh, this weekend. So uh, I've, I've got basically two things to talk about, Paul. The first of those is uh, Manson Family Vacation, which was one of the only gaps, I guess, in my um, Duplass Brothers offerings um, back catalogue of experiences of sort of mumbly films about the interconnected of people. In this case, uh, the Manson Family Vacation deals with two brothers played by Jay Duplass, Mark Duplass's brother, obviously, and uh, Linus Phillips. Linus Phillips, an actor that I didn't know very well. I'm sure he's been in some of these movies, but maybe as a sort of a background player or whatever, or like a, a supporting character. Here, the Linus Phillips character is the most interesting thing. He's this guy who shows up at the home of uh, Jay Duplass, his brother, for a visit and explains that effectively he doesn't really have any money or a job or like any prospects, but he is going to start working for an environmental group. And it's all very vague and a bit, um, a bit. Uh, he, it just doesn't seem like he's got his shit together, basically. Whereas his brother, played by Jay Duplass, is a guy with a decent job, working nine to five, you know, making, building a family with a family home, and and sort of things seem to be stacked in his favour. And these two are gonna like rebuild the relationship that they had growing up albeit through the lens or through the knowledge of the fact that they're not blood related because Linus Phillips was adopted, his character was adopted. Now, all of this is like preamble to the fact that we can't avoid the, the title of the film is Manson Family Vacation. And the reason for that is because Linus Phillips' character is obsessed with the serial killer, notorious serial killer, uh, Charles Manson. And so what we have in terms of the plot is like a kind of road movie of sorts where the two brothers go around to sites of Manson family crimes uh, after the, it's called Helter Skelter, I believe, the kind of cult that Charles Manson set up. That's what I got from this movie. That may be wrong. Correct me, Satanists. But um, <laughs> they they seem to be bonding and they seem to be coming to the realisation that they've got more in common than they have in difference. But it's always a bit 
discomforting for the J. Duplass character that his brother's so fixated on a guy who seems to, by all accounts, to have been awful, really awful. By the end of the film, there is a bit of a revelation that explains that in, in with a bit more or more clarity. But I can't go into that. What I can mention is that they eventually meet this environmental group and the head of it, very sinister head, Paul, is uh, played by the jigsaw killer himself, Tobin Bell. So uh, it's nice to see that when they get into like sinister, uh, you know, nowhere place, the guy who's sort of whispering about how the environmental group only has sort of the purest of intentions is a guy that you is completely synonymous with being like evil and manipulative so <laughs> kind of gives the game away a little bit i guess uh yeah this is not the best work of uh, brothers duplass i don't think but i do think that it's worth it for this linus phillips performance it's sort of like jittery uncomfortable in his own skin guy who is trying to find his place in the world set against jay duplass jay duplass who i think is actually quite a decent like workable actor as well as being like a producer mm. and doing that stuff that he does with his brother and i there was another film i talked about recently with jd plasner in a role with uh, eddie falco i can't remember what it was called but he was good in that too uh, inside out or outside in or something like that uh, on netflix this one's also available on netflix it's a bit of an oddity but if you like the kind of talky talky work our way through relationship stuff that the duplasses put out then you know it's worth a look for, for that reason alone i'd say the other thing for this week, Paul, is uh, one that I know you've seen as well. And that is the new one from Paul Feig, uh, A Simple Favour. A uh, Simple Favour stars uh, Blake Lively and Anna Ken Kendrick as this pair who were brought together by the, uh, well, the simple favour, let's say, which is that Blake Lively asked the Kendrick character to care, look after, watch her young son after school one day because she's got to go and do some business somewhere. And then she just doesn't come back. And it turns out that this Blake Lively character, who is sort of a power-dressing, take-no-bullshit, ass-kicking type woman, uh, it might be involved in, in some, some I don't know, dodgy, dodgy dealings, strange behaviour. Um, you've seen this movie, Paul. Uh, I was quite, quite excited going in because I think Paul Feig's done, done decent stuff. Uh, did, you, did you like this film? No, no. Can, <laughs> not, can you not really? Can I've you read, give your take I've read on quite why? a lot of really? To be honest, I just thought it was it. It didn't know tonally. I think it was it was a bit all over the shop. I, I like the lead. I wanted to enjoy this film. I like Blake Blake, Blake Lively and I like Anna Kendrick. Uh, I think they're both quite quite talented actresses. Um, so yeah, I was was quite looking forward to this, and I thought if this is you know if this has got quite a dark edge to it, then then I'm game. Um, but for me, it just it. It starts off and it's fine. I'd say for me, the the first half is was quite entertaining. I quite enjoyed the first half, and then it it starts to try and be clever, and then it just for me, Pete, it just tied itself in so many knots. There were so many different plot points going left and right, and like, oh, what's happened now? What's this? What's this? And what's this now? And also, there's a twist about midway through, and it's so bloody obvious as to what's going on because there's there's a physical tell of. The, the character of Blake Lively's character uh, and it's so obvious what's happened that you're like okay well I know that that is not that person for example and then the game's just given away early early doors and it just ties itself up in too many knots thought it was far too clever it's shown good and wasn't particularly clever and I just I found myself losing interest as to what was going on if I'm honest yeah I I, I leaned into Francesca when we were watching this and and said to her probably kind of annoyingly but I said is this and it was a genuine question is this a Gillian Flynn novel 
because the similarities to that sort of pulpy style of, of writing with Gone Girl were like inescapable for me and I think between Gone Girl uh, the TV show on HBO Big Little Lies and maybe the HBO series Bored to Death if you kind of mash all those things together kind of cack handedly then you get the way that this thing is strung together and it's a shame man because I think Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick at this point in their respective careers are both really interesting actresses who've done loads of great stuff yeah no I completely and, and, agree and yeah. like yeah. it's funny because when I reviewed this on Letterboxd very briefly because I'm not really good at doing that um, I said like was I watching the same movie as everyone else and here we've got David Ehrlich from IndieWire saying that the turn from Blake Lively in this movie is uh, Oscar worthy and I think like he's just got a bit carried away because his overarching point is that Blake Lively's, Lively's had this slightly um, maybe uh, unexpected uh, turn in her career where she's a quietly bankable star and she's making interesting stuff and I think that's true but this isn't the movie to hold up as an example of that I think her performance is fine I think Anna Kendrick's fine as well but I think there's just a list of stuff like I wrote a few down Paul if you want to see decent or better Blake Lively movies Savages better than this The Shallows way better than this All I See Is You that I talked about recently silly 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 movie but much better than this uh, The Town a better movie than this Age of Adeline a better movie than this Anna Kendrick's side of the equation Happy Christmas, better than this. Mr. Wright, better than this. Loads of different stuff you could watch. And, and finally on Anna Kendrick, Paul, there is a, a, a reason to be very, very excited about the future of her career specifically. And that is because she's attached to a project that is currently called Untitled Chris Morris Project. Now, we recently okay. talked yeah. about Chris Morris <laughs> when we were doing our British comedies top five. This is a movie, uh, a feature directed by the great Chris Morris that will star Anna Kendrick, Dennis O'Hare from American Horror Story, uh, Jim Gaffigan, the stand-up comedian, and uh, Kay Van Novak, of course, who's in Four Lions. So, like, wow, can't wait for that. This is rubbish. Don't worry about seeing it. Except, <laughs> and finally, and then I'm out, for the small, small role afforded Linda Cardellini in this movie wielding a knife yes. and wearing a sleeveless Slayer t-shirt. Man, give me an entire movie about that character and I will have a wonderful time and all above board, Paul. Uh, we should get out of this section, I think. Can I throw something else in that I've completely forgotten you to said, mention? Said it's it a film can. that I very much enjoyed this week as well, one of the few I went to the cinema to see, so I do apologise. Uh, you thought you'd heard the last one, but you haven't. I'm back with The Miseducation of Cameron oh, of course, Post yeah. and Desiree Akavan. Yes. Um, this is, uh, I would say, the best way to describe this is a, a gay conversion drama starring, uh, what is her name? Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, and um, what is the girl's name? Sasha Blaine. Sa Sa Sasha Lane. Uh, Sasha Lane. But Sasha can, Lane can I also throw, throw into the, the mix, Paul, the fact that um, Desiree yeah. Akivan, just uh, for people who don't know, is connected to the Duplass brothers as well, right? Because she is in, uh, she, well, she's in okay. Creep 2 which we talked about, right? Oh, it's yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, okay. same person. Yes, and, sorry. That makes so much sense And her now. previous yes. feature is amazing. It's uh, Appropriate Behaviour. Check that out as well, please. But yeah, carry on. Okay, no, cool. I did, yes, that you, you mentioned her a little while ago and I hadn't even, I hadn't put two and two together. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so Miss Education Cameron Post, um, basically, Chloe Grossmetz plays a young teenager who is caught by her boyfriend um, in the middle of some, some uh, well, kissing a girl, basically, in the back of the car. Um, and her adopted parents send her off to this, I would say, if certainly evangelical, fundamentalist sort of evangelical uh, gay conversion camp um, where uh, kids are almost, well, it's just quite disturbing to even talk about, to be honest. But yeah, they try and sort of teach the gay away for want of a better for want of a much better description of, of what they try and do to kids at this camp um 
Yeah, it's it's really good. I've, it's the first it's the first Desiree Echovan film I've seen. I haven't seen what was the other one? Did you say appropriate behaviour? I haven't seen appropriate behaviour, so it's the first film I've seen from Desiree Echovan, and it was it was very very good. I think this material um, here is very very well handled, not only by some great performances from both lead actresses, um, but also by the fact that this kind of material I think could have been very very overwrought. It could have been sort of laid on. The emotion could have been laid on very very thick, um, and at, at no point is it. And I think that really helps. I think it it's almost like documentary in the way that it lets you make your own mind up as to whether these whether this conversion therapy is right or wrong in the way some of the characters are portrayed because they're not the the kind of the teachers at this camp aren't portrayed as um, well certainly one of them at least isn't portrayed as sort of straight up evil there is there is gray areas as to why they're doing what they're doing and do they have the kids best interest in heart and there's one particular conversation that chloe grace moret's character has with um, like an inspector for schools by going do you trust these people and she's like well I, it's not that I don't trust them to put food on the table and it's not that I don't trust them to look after me, but do you know, do I trust them? The answer is no, I don't, but that's quite, so it's interesting the way they have, they have gray areas there. And yeah, I think that the fact that it's really, really understated actually helps the film a lot. And it's a very, very, I'd say all the more powerful film for it. Um, and especially the end as well. It, it doesn't, it doesn't ratchet up the tension to sort of in a lot, in the way a lot of dramas would, it, in, it ends in the same sort of, slower pace as it begins and i think yeah it's really really effective drama because of it so yeah if you haven't seen it yet definitely check it out yeah i've got to get to that one as soon as possible um so that brings us to the end of uh, what you've been watching and we'll be back in just a moment with our feature review of the little stranger and yes back we are so as we mentioned at the top of the show the little stranger is the latest project from i would say one of my well, probably, yeah, one of my favourite directors working at the moment, I think, Lenny Abramson, I think it's fair to say. His recent output has been very, very good. You put together Room um, and Frank... And what, uh, what, what Richard did, which you spoke yeah. about really recently. What Richard did, <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, well remembered there. He's my favourite director, I can't even remember what he made. Uh, no, so it was, I was fairly, fairly highly anticipating this one, I have to say. So set this one up for us, Pete. Okay, so what we have here, as you've said, Lenny Abramson's new effort, uh, based in rural Warwickshire in the UK, we have a character played by the actor Donald Gleeson, who shows up at a stately, British stately home known as Hundreds Hall, and he's there to tend to the medical needs. He's a doctor, I should say. He's there to tend to the medical needs of the heir's family. Um, chief amongst this group is a character play, played by Will Poulter, who has been in the war and he's now walking with like a limp and has various disfigurements that need treatment. The doctor um, seems to suggest Faraday is his name. And I, don't, I wonder whether that's the... the, the connection to the real Faraday but th that's a conversation for another time uh yeah whether his new um advancements in sort of electrical shock treatment might be able to help him to regain sensation in his legs and more mobility and that kind of thing but all around this uh Gleason doctor character we've got this kind of crumbling old uh relic of the past in this house which is sort of falling apart at the seams and as well as the house falling apart it seems that some of the relationships in the house are falling apart as well. Another character significant to the plot is played by Ruth Wilson, who is a fantastic actress in her own right, who is the sister of the Will Poulter character, who's trying to kind of hold the thing together. And we've also got in here uh, the Charlotte Rampling character, who is her mother, if I'm not mistaken, Paul. Yeah, yes, Charlotte sure. Rampling, again, I, I keep saying the same thing, but like another amazing uh, actress working uh, these days and, and for many, many years before. And so... 
the Doctor becomes this visitor who is tasked with maybe doing a little bit more than the remit of his sort of medical practice. Finally, to set the thing up, there is a historical context for his previous or pre-existing knowledge of Hundreds Hall. We get some flashbacks fairly early in the film to a sequence in which Gleason's character as a small boy is allowed to attend a fair at the house, albeit within the con constraint of being a working class kid going into an environment that is very much alien to him and sort of a bit out of his reach. During his time at the house, he manages to walk inside, look all around and then take something that he's not supposed to take. This leads him into great trouble and a, a, a slap in from his mother. And it kind of like leaves a, a, an impression on him that is going to last a lifetime. Before we get into our opinions about The Little Stranger, here's a little clip. Oh, Doctor. Welcome. Forgive me. I rang, but... I'm afraid I've been pinning the house back together. So I see. My darling brother's still in Lidcote, arguing with the builder about the land, so... I do hope they're not drinking to seal the deal. Now, speaking of which, help yourself. If there are any glasses left... Pay no attention. I think you look very smart, Betty. Oh, I should warn you. Acoustics in this room are uncanny. Every word carries. You, Miss Ayers, look beautiful. So I think the first thing I, I want to come in uh, with, well, come in on, is this film, I think, is a little bit missold uh, in its publicity and in its trailers because it seems to be painted out to be this kind of traditional gothic haunted house film um, and kind of I looked at it and thought all oh, Lenny I know I was as guilty of it as everyone else I looked at it and thought Abraham's making a horror this should be interesting yeah so, a, that film, a bit, well be? yeah just just on that a bit like a, a sort of crimson peak or something like that it, it yeah. felt like right yeah. that you're going to get sort of blood oozing out of the floorboards and things like that and like you say it might be a bit more of a a straight-up horror film, and you're right, I think what we get is more of a sort of psychological exploration of at least the Gleason character, if not other characters on screen as well, although I think some more effectively than others and some in more detail than others. Um, where to start? I mean, I think, okay, because we're walking into this Hundreds Hall and because we're post-war UK countryside, the setting is extremely important, both to the, the sort of feel of the thing and to a sort of aesthetic appreciation of what Abramson does here. And I think from that vantage point, there is a lot to recommend the movie. Uh, on an aesthetic level, I think that he does this, like, a pretty fantastic job of sweeping his camera around the, the sort of uh, the hallways and the stairs wells in the house and uh, giving a real sense that something is haunting the place even if we don't quite know what it is and even if ultimately we might not be satisfied with what it is that that you know becomes the the, the sort of reveal or reality of that later on in the plot do, do you agree do you think that Abramson here at least before we get into anything negative because I think there might be things on both sides that are not so positive do you yeah. think by and large as an aesthetic um Endeavor. Yeah, I think the this film. I think the film successful. looks. Yeah, I think the film looks fantastic. And you mentioned kind of Crimson Peak, um, and I think it kind of evokes Crimson Peak or uh, the orphanage or that kind of thing in in the way in the way that it's shot. Certainly, I think um, I think from a visual aspect, he, he absolutely nails the film. Um, and I think going on to going on to perhaps some of the 
some of the negative stroke positives. I think it's it's a fifty fifty on certain things that he's done. I think it's it's unashamedly a very very slow film, um, and uh, in part I think that really really worked. And I found myself thinking, oh, I really quite like the time this is taking with its character development and the time this is taking with its story. In other parts, I was like, Jesus Christ, will you just hurry up? Like I just think it. it it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Pete, come back yeah. at me if you agree, disagree. Yeah, I, no, I'm I'm totally with you. I, I think that um, I just wanted to come in on the first half of that, like the positive half, which is, I, I think I reacted to it very similarly to you from what you're saying, because there were sections in the movie, like the thing that comes to mind is there's a, um, a sort of barn dance sequence in this, where, as you say, the, the plot has been moving at sort of glacial pace, and then he decides to uh, <laughs> hold us at this barn dance, which sort of plays out almost in, in, in real time for, for a period yeah. of uh, it's felt like about 10 minutes it's probably less than that uh, probably significantly less than that actually but uh we really get to live and breathe this environment and and i had a turn at a point in the movie like that where i sort of thought i'm so with this like i just i want to kind of dwell here and i don't need to be pushed along through sort of histrionics mm. and, and overly uh, plotted material i just want to kind of live in this environment but i think the the other side of it that you were getting onto is that I don't know that maybe this can all be laid at the door of Lenny Abramson, but I don't know that the movie always has the courage of its convictions. I feel that like sometimes it gets sort of caught between two posts. Like we just get into a a rhythm, a sort of slow, laconic rhythm, and then suddenly we need to have, you know, plot points B and C, you know, follow up in fairly quick succession. And the movie never to me or rarely felt like it really congealed together into something that was that was satisfying as a whole albeit i was incredibly satisfied by certain sequences in the movie particularly those that really had the courage to like hold us in a place where we could yeah just just have an experience like you know like when you read a novel that spends an inordinate amount of time describing like a Thomas Pynchon novel or something where you're 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 reading sort of 10 pages that are describing a particular part of a field or something but by the end of that section you really have a sense for a different kind of experience and i appreciate that from yeah. this director but then but then i yeah like i say i just feel that it never well, particularly as the film builds towards its inevitable, or rather inevitable, I think, conclusion, it just felt a bit unsatisfying for me. How did you feel on that yeah, front? I, I kind of agree with you, to be honest. I said there were moments, and just as you said, there were moments, and certain some of the moments in, in the room upstairs, I think, were very, very effective with the um, Charlotte Rampin character. That bit was very good. Um, and some of the scary bits are, in fairness, quite quite scary. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think it, it, it plodded along and then suddenly you're just like, oh, oh, we're at the end. Uh, how this has happened. It seems to be the film took a long time getting somewhere and then suddenly decides it wants to wrap itself up and then almost just finishes, I found. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I think that, yeah, as you say, like the end, the end, you can see, I would say, if you've seen other films and it is based on a book in fairness. So it's, you obviously you can't lay it all over. It, Mother as well. Mother comes to mind a little bit with this movie, I think. Yeah, I think that's a um, fair. I think that's like a fair, a, an old a house and a place of sort of great achievement or, or creativity, the, the sort of bursts of... Uh, 
of music, the piano playing in the thing and and the, the, the stuff, like I like that. I'm interested in those things, you know, when it feels like a place used to be full of life and now it's sort of all falling away. A bit like, you know, in um, a ghost story when you see every home or the home at the centre of that, I suppose, that, that falls into sort of disuse and disrepair and then becomes something else entirely. But then the, the sort of subtler moves, uh, the sleight of hand of this thing, I, I just, by the end of it, you felt like that's all we were building to. That's all we were building to, which is like, without without necessarily giving too much away, it, it feels to me like a, a half-baked version of the Don Draper backstory or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Where you think, like, I needed a bit more because... I, and I guess, and maybe this is too much weight to put on, like, Lenny Abramson, but, like, when you've had the emotional punch and the sort of heft of something like Room and maybe even more so in a certain uh, visceral sense, the movie What Richard Did, then you kind mm. of expect a bit more in terms of the the lasting impact of a movie that comes from this particular director. And I think by the end of The Little Stranger, I uh, unfortunately felt like I've been in places that I've enjoyed being in and some that have been very uncomfortable. You say, for example, you mentioned the Charlotte Rampling sequence in the bedroom with sort of shaking doors and paranoia. Charlotte Rampling to me in this is fantastic in that sequence and then like pain fully underused and it's a shame it's a real shame so you're, you're kind of left feeling like it could have been so much more than, than what it was yeah i completely agree with you and i think if you if you think back and say you know which which of his films will you remember in five years time you I, i'd be hard pushed to say i'd remember what I'd, I'd be hard pushed to say that i remember will have remembered watching this film at all in five years time and i think that's kind of the disappointment i think it, it's 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 just merely okay at what it does there are and as much as he claims it's, you know, you say you're making a horror, he claim, I think he's gone on to claim it's not a horror film, it's just marketed as such, and, and people have certain expectations of it. It's just not a particularly, whatever it's meant to be, I don't think it's entirely effective. And they, I've read other people saying, oh, it's, it's kind of like a dismantling of the class system and that kind of thing. And yeah, those those elements are there with Dom Hall Gleason's character, but they're not explicit enough for me to say that you can really make make the film about that and I think yeah I'd come down on the fact that I had I'm with you Pete I had a good enough time while I was in there I was engaged enough for bits of it but it doesn't it's not not a film that's going to stick with you I don't think um for any real amount yeah, of time I, I'm glad you mentioned it I was going to say that too there there has been talk particularly in your sort of like a uh, letterbox comments and your, your crit critical response to this thing saying like that there's a real um concern for the current and past realities of the English class system and yeah there is to an extent I wish there was more of that and I wish that it was yeah absolutely yeah it should double down on that if that's what they were going to make the film about make the film about yeah, that and, and you can be as subtle as you like but it's got to leave you with a, a greater feeling I think of, of sort of meaty satisfaction and that you've really dug your teeth into something rather than than being pleased with the way that it creates a sort of atmosphere and then like leaves everything hanging in the air a bit like the sort of ghost that may or may not haunt the house so yeah The Little Stranger is, is certainly I, I would say worth checking out it's just that like you you led in at the beginning Paul by saying that Lenny Abramson is one of your favorite living directors and I I would feel I would say similarly to you but 
when you have standards that high for for a film director i think that anything other than exceptional work is going to be rather underwhelming so there may be others newer to abramson's work or a little bit more forgiving than the two of us who might see more to like in the little stranger as far as i'm concerned it sounds like you as well paul this is a rather minor abramson work yeah for sure completely well i'll tell you what won't be minor work paul will be the the uh, unenviable job of whittling down our favorite uh picks for films featuring strangers to a mere top five we've both had to do that and after the break we will be back with our top five movies featuring strangers Right, and as promised, as you might be unsurprised to realise, we've returned, Pete. We are back. To be fair, that sting that sting lasts about four seconds, <laughs> yeah. so uh, there wasn't a lot of anticipation no. to be had. Um, so, so as we've mentioned before the break, top five films featuring strangers, or top five stranger films, as I've put in my notes. Um, shall I go first with number five? Are you happy with that? Well, before, before you do, Paul... Uh, without sort of spoiling your list at all how did you look at this question like how have you approached this list is it films with the word stranger in is it a character who's a stranger is it a group of it's strangers? a character who's a stranger is what i've gone for and i know we said there were no we, we didn't set ourselves any um any parameters for this one so i've gone for yeah i mean there might be a film with a, the word stranger in the title there might not be um but right. Uh, yeah, basically, it's films featuring strangers who who have an impact on the storyline. I would say is kind of the route I've gone. Have you done similar, or what have you? I have okay. actually. Yeah, almost exactly that. Yeah, a, a stranger shows up or appears or comes back. It's as though we've like worked that, together so. on this show for a while now, Pete. It is strange, <laughs> isn't it, Paul? It is strange. The watchword of today's show. Yeah. So, what is number five on your list of movies featuring strangers? Uh, number five is Michael Mann's Collateral from two thousand and four, uh, with Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise here plays the enigmatic um, hitman Vincent um, in a grey suit with seemingly grey hair, if I remember rightly. Um, in this, yeah. and Jamie Fox is a taxi driver. If I remembered this film well yeah. enough. I have remembered this film. Good right. job because it's number five. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and then Jamie Foxx kind of gets roped into helping, well, yeah, he just drives Vincent round while Vincent, uh, the hitman, is killing people um, and gets dragged into uh, Vincent's horrible, horrible affairs. Um, yeah, I just, it's a very, very stylish film, as you would expect from Michael Mann um, and Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise have, I think, have great chemistry here. Tom Cruise is it's one of my favourite Tom Cruise roles, actually, I think. And I think I came out, it's one of those films you came out, come out going, where's my grey suit? I want to be Tom Cruise because he was so fucking cool in that film. Um, Michael Mann's always a director that I've had a, had a fondness for, not only because of his visuals, just because it can also throw together some incredible action scenes. Um, some of the set pieces in this are superb. Some of the assassination attempts are, are frankly great. Um, look at Heat as another example. And in fact, Manhunter, which is a film I talked about earlier in the show. Um, yeah, for me, the only thing that really lets down collateral is the end. Um, I did, I still don't buy it. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for those of you who haven't seen Collateral. I don't buy the way the film ends. I wish it had ended differently, but it's more than good enough up to that point to be a thoroughly entertaining piece of cinema. 
Pete, what have you got at number five? So, uh, I don't know if entertaining would be the right word for the particular slice of cinema, and slice is certainly a watchword for the, the first pick of mine. Number five for me, Paul, uh, the, the top five films featuring strangers, is L'Intérieur, or Inside, from 2007. Uh, this is a French movie that sits well and truly bang in the middle of that, like, French New Extremity thing that happened, where a load of French directors, I don't know, were... Oh, like Switchblade Romance and Martyrs and that kind Got of it, thing. yeah, yeah, that Alexandra Ayer and all those lads uh, and ladies got got like really sort of uh, caught up or upset in in various issues that you can explore within your own uh, sort of theses at some point but inside uh, tells the story of a young lady who loses her husband in a car accident and then um, manages to get herself to get through recovery from the car accident whilst being pregnant i believe quite far along pregnant the baby also has survived uh however there is a knock on her door one evening from another character played by beatrice dull um from betty blue and, and elsewhere fame who uh seems to know an awful lot about this lady and her personal life uh, sort of gets her way uh, ingratiates her way into the lady's home and then things get all horrible and there's a lot of kind of um slicing and a lot of bloodletting and the uh, very palpable sense that the Beatrice Dahl character will not leave until she has physically cut the unborn child from within uh, the lady that she's tormenting. And I should mention that the, the tormented lady in this movie, Paul, is, is one Alison Paradis, who is the younger sister of Vanessa Paradis. And you're of an age where you know who I'm talking about, maybe. Vanessa Paradis from... She was a, she was a French uh, ingenue, uh, a singer in the sort of early 90s who had a, a single called, uh, like, Jeu, Jeu de Taxi or something like that. She's a very, very attractive young lady, okay. Paul. I think she worked as a, a model and singer and various other things. Was she dating Johnny Depp at one point? Yes, yeah, she was. Yes. And they had uh, yes. at least one child yes, together. Yes, and she is, uh, yes. That child's aunt is is here being horribly tormented in this thing. But yeah, uh, there'll probably be a, another film that, that is on similar lines later on. So I don't know if I was just in a strange mood when I got to make this <laughs> list today. But yeah, if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of sort of um, horrendously uncomfortable, fairly gory and protracted violence, then uh, L'Anterieur slash Inside is very much for you. Uh, other people who think that sounds awful avoid this at all costs but um oh and just to be clear this is inside from 2007 not the remake of this movie from 2016 who who uh, or which does star on the positive side laura harring in i believe the uh sort of protagonist uh alison parody role mm, no false in the beatrice dally role right. but but on the other hand looks like absolute shite so if you're going to watch one of them uh the 2007 one the french language one with subtitles go for that paul what's the number four for you sir? Uh, i'm gonna wager that this is on your list somewhere as well pete and i'll be surprised if it isn't uh this is adam wingard's uh, the guest from 2014 is this on your list somewhere have i just spoiled... don't, know, don't know what you're talking uh, okay. about okay well it's not a number four then, not. so intriguing uh paul paul at uh, number four for me is adam wingard's oh, okay. film the guest <laughs> 
tell, tell the people why. Tell well, the you, people you can why. set this one up, Pete, as I've, I've still on your thunder a little bit. We'll share this. We'll share number four duties. There we go. Okay, I, I will say this, that when I came to make this list, this was kind of going head to head with that documentary that we've talked about before, The Imposter, where this guy shows up. Uh, the, the guys who made uh, American, American Animals. animals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy shows up and he says, like, I'm your son. And it's kind of really intriguing. But I kicked that off the list and went for this one instead, basically because... Uh, uh, Dan Stevens is unbelievably handsome in it because the soundtrack is amazing. And basically what you have is Dan Stevens says, at least, that he is a military veteran who served alongside the son of a particular family. He shows up on their doorstep and then starts to sort of um, wreak havoc slash seduce absolutely everyone. Slash talking like a very softly, softly charming, yes mum, no mum, three bags full mum, uh, sort of tone of southern drawl, which, yeah, it leaves everybody sort of swooning uh, at the very sight of him. Not least the daughter in the family, who's played by Maker Monroe, who of course would go on to be in It Follows and a bunch of really great stuff after this. Um, Paul, why do you like this movie so much that it got on your list? I think it's just as if you kind of mentioned, it's incredibly stylish in places. Um, the soundtrack's fantastic. Adam Wingard is one of my, again is certainly one of my I'd say one of my favourite genre directors without a shadow of a doubt. I think he's he kind of I mean Your Next was fantastic. It was a fantastic genre piece, and I think the guest kind of messes around with a few dramas as well. It kind of it starts in one direction, and then takes you in another, and takes you in another direction, which I quite like. Um, and that ending set piece in the kind of amusement park sort of fun fair sort of what's the best way to describe it? i suppose that's probably the best way to describe it sort of um fun house is just incredible uh, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's all like it's all like little uh neon bits of neon lighting and dry ice and like uh, that sort of synthy electro yeah. <laughs> soundtrack from perturbator and uh, and others that just makes this whole thing like it's the kind of movie that there's there's like what is not to like about the guest if you like sort of uh genre stuff and like uh you know maybe at times violent and slightly sexy and whatever but this is like one of those movies that is very much a popcorn movie in the purest sense not only the strangers in a cinema patented popcorn movie sense <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah there's not much more i can say on it to be honest if you haven't seen it you are missing out it's just a whole heap of fun and yeah should be seen uh, at once. So that, given that I've just um, fallen straight into line with you, and we've both agreed that the guest is is objectively the fourth best movie <laughs> in this particular subgenre, uh, what have you got at number three? Number three, I've got a nineteen seventy three effort from director and actor Clint Eastwood, and starring Clint Eastwood, in fact. And this is the western High Plains Drifter. Um, this is one that stuck. I haven't seen it for quite a few years now, I have to say, but it's one of those films that once you watch it once, it just uh, sticks with me. So you're in, I would say you're in kind of traditional Western setup here. So you've got a drifter with no name played by Clint Eastwood, uh, comes to a small town. Um, he's a mid originally kind of outcast. No one really wants to know. He fends off a band of local criminals uh, and then they kind of, then they adopt him and he helps the town, he helps the townspeople. Um, but what's great is this. I think it's Clint Eastwood, um, Clint Eastwood is, is have, clearly having a lot of fun. By this point in his career, he's played this role a lot um, and he's very, very effective at doing it. Um, and also, uh, there is more than meets the eye with High Plains Drifter Pete, if you haven't seen it, uh, in the terms of the Clint Eastwood character. And it's and it's where the film goes with the... There is uh, possibly some supernatural elements going on here for those who've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. For those who haven't, I might have just ruined the whole film for you, so I apologise. Uh, but yeah, it leads you in a direction that you do not expect. 
Um, and that is why it sticks with me. I like I like tagging a little review with, I might have just ruined the whole movie. <laughs> so I apologise. It's very British. I might have ruined your enjoyment of this piece yes. of entertainment, but sorry about so that. So no, High Plains Drifter, uh, it's, it's stuck with me since I was a kid because there's just that little bit, something different to it um, and the, the way they play. The, it, yeah, it seems like a very... Very traditional Western, has all the traditional Western tropes, and then they throw in just that little bit of intrigue that you wouldn't normally get. So, yeah, High Plains Drifter uh, sits at number three for me. And number three for me, Paul, is uh, a movie that uh, opens up, as I remember it anyway, uh, or very early in the movie, opens up with a sequence in which a prostitute uh, chides the the John that was with her, that is with her, for not being able to uh, get or maintain an erection, and then reveals that that John is in fact her own father. Uh, that's the in point to uh, the the weird and wonderful mind of Mike Takeshi. This movie is Visitor Q. I thought this and would be on your list because you lent it, this to me, didn't you? I think. Yeah, it's one that, in a way, you would say this is a movie not for anyone. But on the other <laughs> hand, there are there are a subset of people I think who will get to um, sort of the digging away of layers of the movie Visitor Q to the point where they realise that actually this is basically a comedy movie. It's a comedy movie about a visitor who walks into a home uninvited and tries to, uh, without really making any obvious or direct effort, uh, seems to fix the lives of the most dysfunctional of Japanese families that comprises a father who is a news reporter who has been emasculated at every turn and at one point uh, I believe gets uh, penetrated with his own microphone by a group of hoodlums uh, a son who is horribly abusive to his own mother um, and sort of beats her relentlessly the mother who finds her own liberation in in figuring out that she can auto lactate and fill the house with breast milk there's a lot going on Paul in visitor Q but as I say and believe me it's a funny movie if you try to um to sort of wade through your initial your initial revulsion at this movie. Well, I think you you have you you can't do anything but laugh. I think you you get to the point where you go, I know what he's doing here, uh, and I think for me the whole thing becomes so ludicrous that you can't do anything other than laugh along with it. I think. Yeah, that, it's that's... it's like a like a um like an absurd argument taken to the nth degree about the status of the Japanese nuclear family. Um, like a sequence to me that I rewatched today that stands out as wonderful. And I put it on when Francesca was there and she was like, this movie looks shit. Like, what is this? But is uh, a sequence in which the visitor, the father, the son and the mother are um, eating a, a meal very, very quietly around the table in their home. And then a gang of hoodlums start firing uh, rockets and fireworks through the paper windows of their house. And the dad, picks up his camera as the ever uh, eager reporter and starts doing a piece to camera about how exciting it is but he doesn't know how to take this wonderful bullying what should he do with this bullying look at my wife she just threw a knife at my son like it's it's absolute chaos it's a meltdown but to me it's a movie that anybody who gets to the end of it for better or worse, we'll never forget. And that's why Visitor Q's on my list. Uh, from 2001, by the way, it will not be on streaming services, I don't imagine. You have to you have to mail order it from some murky corner of the internet, I would imagine. Uh, Paul, what have you got at number two on your list? Uh, at number two on my list, I've got a film that you bounced out of your list for the guest. Uh, it's bounced, it stayed in my list along with the guest. Um, this is a documentary we touched on last week from director Bart Layton. Uh, this is The Imposter. Just because when you watch this story, you're like, this cannot be true. 
this cannot be true what I'm watching here. And then you look into it and you're like, oh my word, it is true. Like what happened here is just insane. So you get, you've got Fre Frederick Bordal, is that his name? I think that's his name. Um, a con artist who tricks a Texas family into believing that he was a relative that disappeared many, many years earlier. You'd think this wouldn't even be possible. And a relative, a relative, um, their fucking son. Though. Yeah, it's their son. Their yeah. son. There's just, it's just absolutely compulsive viewing and you're kind of like, and if, don't get me wrong, if this, to be honest, if this had been a work of fiction, I probably would have written it off as just too, too much. I'm like, that's completely unbelievable. How do you well, expect me to believe what's happened it, here? It kind of like, brings to mind, because you mentioned Clint Eastwood, so it's in my head, the Clint Eastwood movie uh, Changeling with uh, okay. Angelina Jolie, where Angelina Jolie's son goes missing and then is returned and she says, this isn't my son, but everybody tells her, you're crazy, this is your son, except he's your son. Yeah. And I think they actually came out ish around the similar time. I, I might be wrong on that, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it, it is such a weird story that my reaction was exactly like yours. Like, this is made up and kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and like, there's some of the things, some of the things it points to that perhaps, you know, it, it, it levels, that it kind of implicates the family at some point and like something's, everything's not what it seems and it goes into the fact that i love the fact as well when it looks into the fact that they go they look at the fact that you sit there and go surely the family must have known and you go and then someone goes but they did know and why did they pretend it was him mm. they must have known and then they pretend it was him and like the just the different elements to this story and you've got the private investigator i think investigating what's at, what's happened to the actual son and some of the accusations that he levels at the family ah oh, it's just great and, gripping, and, and absolutely and gripping. And Paul, you like, must have you must have thought like me, like the nerve of this guy. Yeah, like imagine just, being there yeah. and, and in those <laughs> situations where he's like, "Oh, I'm back, I'm back," and then they're like, "Oh, you remember such and such?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, it's been a long time, but yeah, I guess because he's just got to like navigate all this minefield of blowing yeah. up his own situation by saying the wrong thing, looking the wrong way, caring too much or caring too little. It's yeah, it's it's riveting stuff. This this documentary. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's my number two. And for those reasons that I've just mentioned, Pete, what's your number two, sir? Number two for me, Paul, is uh, the 1997 Michael Haneke movie, Funny Games. Um, uh, I'm sorry because again, after Visitor Q at number three, number two is also no fun. But um, <laughs> th this is this is like being strapped to a chair and lectured for an hour and a half. Like people say, it is that is true. But I don't necessarily see that as uh, as any kind of major criticism. And I think that Michael Haneke here is being uh, you know unapologetically didactic in the way that he makes the movie implicate the audience in the violence that is enacted on them. Um, for people who don't know, Funny Games is essentially an easy set we got a family driving home uh to their house through the countryside but against that hanukkah puts like death metal as i remember it in a kind of like really discordant uncomfortable way slathered all over the opening sequence so that you know all the idyllic um setting and the apparent calm in the family is gonna be disrupted for you from the get-go you know what that something's off, that something's going to be amiss a here. What happens is a pair of very well-spoken, very uh, sort of smartly dressed in, in pristine white tennis kit, uh, these two guys walk into the family uh, home, knock on the door, walk into the family home of a, a well-to-do couple and their son and ask the mother for some eggs. And then one of the guys drops the eggs and then he asks for four more eggs and the dog uh, from the home jumps at him and he drops the second four eggs. So finally he says, well, you've got four eggs left. It was a box of 12. I want those four eggs. 
And by this point, the mother and the audience are incredibly uncomfortable and want these people to leave because they look kind of both innocent and incredibly intimidating at the same time. Uh, at this point, the dad returns home. This is all early, early stuff in the film. It doesn't spoil anything. The dad returns home and is trying to sort of be the arbitrator in the dispute between the wife, who's now uncomfortable and a bit upset, and these guys who seem to be so well-intentioned, but also a little bit off. Um, at which point, one of the guys says to the, the, the man, the, the father of the house, the man of the house, uh, do you want to give me the eggs or do I have to smash your balls? At which point you realise, oh, okay, it's not just about eggs here. It's about something a lot more horrible. Uh, it's a home invasion movie and it's a movie all about the the complicit nature of audiences watching violent cinema and like i said at the outset that does sound a bit like a you know 90 to 100 minute lecture and it kind of is that but it's incredibly <laughs> creatively much, yeah. put together by you know your go-to guy for being le lectured on on your own wrongdoings whilst you're attempting to enjoy a night out with your loved one or whatever so um yeah this is funny game 97 i feel like i've done this twice now because it was inside should be the original not the remake don't please bother with the naomi watts uh i don't think there's yeah, there's not much difference in the two. I mean, but he that's made why both. Don't, don't bother. Much, yeah, I suppose they it, are shot for shot. So, and, and, yeah. and the movie, to me, the movie just works better in the original uh, in the original language, anyway. And I, I just think it was a it was a perfect movie at achieving what it set out to achieve. Yeah, and I think true. the remake, albeit some of the people involved in the remake, are perfectly capable. Not least Michael Haneker himself, who very weirdly was back on board. But uh, yeah, the 1997 version is the one to watch. Check it out. Uh, not comfortable. Sorry. Next week we'll do like top five movies with kittens or whatever. Paul, what is it number one for you on this? Uh, number list? one for me is, and in fact, the film that this 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 very show uh, is kind of named after, or yeah, pretty much named after. Um, this is Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Strangers on a Train. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot been said about Strangers on a Train. I will briefly set it up for those of you who may not have seen Strangers on a Train. Um, basically, a man, a tennis star, is um, on a train. sits on a train. He's very unhappy with his wife, um, who refuses to divorce him. He meets a stranger on a train, um, who suggests to him that perhaps he will kill his wife for him. Um, he writes this off as just kind of just bizarre chat on a train. Um, the psychopathic, well, friend or stranger in this case, uh, does kill his wife and then tries to get the tennis star to kill his own his father for him. Um, and it's all directed incredibly well by the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, yeah, there's not much. It's just, yeah, it's it's a very, very well, very, very well constructed film, as you would imagine from Hitchcock. I don't think it's Hitchcock's greatest film of all time, but then that's not saying much. To which be fair. That's which still... one is, though? Just which to one put, is? Just to put you on the spot. I would say probably Vertigo would be my favourite of the Hitchcock we'll films. Do... Or Psycho. Or Psycho, in fact. Psycho. I, I'm sure, Paul, maybe Psycho. around um, Halloween-ish time, we might do some sort of Hitchcock or horror list as well. So that would be well, cool. I can't really to, have to Psycho on my top ten list and then say Vertigo. I prefer Vertigo, can I? That's cheating. Well, That's I completely, guess. completely cheating my list. So I would say, um, yeah, Psycho probably is, is my favourite of his films. But no, Stranger on a Train, 
very very well put together film very very tense very very interesting concept um i just I just like the idea of it it's very it's kind of like very it's a very pulpy fiction idea but hitchcock just puts it together remarkably well it's a very very tense film you've seen this pete i take it yeah yeah of course yeah and and a great pick i mean and what better thing to top the list than the like you said at the outset the film that sort of birthed the name of this very podcast so i think it's a fine number one good what's your number one pete guess strangers on a train it isn't. Okay. But you know me well, Paul, and I'm a little bit appalled that you had not is it, predicted is it, this one. Is it Pro Evo 2018? It's Pro Evo 2019. Oh, okay. Sorry. No. <laughs> uh, at number one for me on the top five list of Movies with Strangers is, of course, uh, the 2001 slash 2 David Lynch masterpiece, Mulholland Drive. Uh, at the outset of uh, Mulholland Drive, there is yes. an accident, Paul. There's been an accident. Where has it happened, Paul? It's happened on Mulholland Drive. An amnesiac lady played by Laura Haring stumbles into uh, a, a, an apartment that does not believe long to her and falls asleep on the bed this character is called Rita isn't she Paul or is she she only calls herself Rita because she sees a picture of Rita Hayworth on the wall I believe from Gilda perhaps uh, and she decides that that's yeah that's going to be her name when later in the movie she's also referred to as Camilla Rhodes but Melissa George uh, Paul plays Camilla Rhodes in this movie doesn't she so strange that isn't it uh, strange what love does Paul if anything um, I, as you can probably tell by my initial gushing, am a massive fan of the film Marlon Drive, and I've talked about it before on the show. Uh, the, the, the reasons being many and varied, but coming from the point of view of this list and trying uh, as best I could to shoehorn this onto my list, it is unquestionably a movie about the impact of a stranger because it's the appearance of the Rita character that leads the Diane Selwyn character played by Nemi Watts at that time referred to as Betty on this trip around Hollywood to try and figure out along with the audience Paul what the fuck is going on um she arrives uh, Betty arrives in in Hollywood believing it to be some kind of dream place and later in the narrative we might learn that all along maybe it, it was that or maybe it was some kind of nightmare place Paul the the lines are very very blurry it's a David Lynch movie um it, it's it's a phenomenal piece of work and Tell me that this is a failed TV pilot that has been cobbled together into into an incoherent, masturbatory, self-indulgent film and you can fight me because you're wrong. Mulholland Drive is, I think, one of the greatest movies made in the last sort of 20 years or so. Um, and it And it does this really great job of being both on the surface, entertaining and confusing and kind of maddening and also having quite a bit to say about the industry that kind of created it. You know, when Lynch is a guy who, as much as he might protest, is married at least somewhat to the Hollywood movie making machine. Um, couldn't be anything else for me, Paul. Mulholland Drive is amazing. Have you seen, I know you've seen this movie, but have you seen it like recently? Probably not as recently as I would like. I watched it two, three years ago, I think. It's probably the last time I've watched it. I, I am a massive fan, I have to say. It didn't jump out as me as a film featuring strangers, though, but I can see exactly why it would have done yeah um from from your explanation there but no i, I agree i mean i love lynch i think he's an incredible filmmaker um and Mulholland drive is is certainly a fantastic film so deservedly deservedly at the top of your list i would say i mean i mean the the impact is such on me that 
today in in preparing for this episode I watched a few bits of, of Mulholland Drive, the audition sequence, um, the the uh, arriving in the apartment sequence, but also, and I'd go back, I've been back to this, I don't even know, dozens of times, the Silencio sequence in the theatre with Rebecca Del Rio yeah. and No Band and the falling away of illusion. And I just think like, oh, I want to mention before I shut the hell up about Mulholland Drive, there is a figure that 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 people, um, without being too disparaging, people, a lot of people are very enamoured with at the moment called Jordan Peterson, who's a, a, a thinker, uh, a philosopher and sociologist of sorts. And Jordan Peterson on YouTube has a video that's been published of him giving his analysis for about 35 minutes of Mulholland Drive. And oh boy, if it's representative of the intellectual level at which Jordan Peterson operates, then it's kind of embarrassing um, that he seems to have got the movie so entirely wrong. But um, I'd be willing to do a whole episode on Mulholland Drive and I'm not allowed to. So I'm going to wrap this up by saying my number one is Mulholland Drive. And hey man, before we get out of this list and into the last section, can you just run down one more time your five through one? I can. I, I will. Uh, so at number five I had on my list which is on this piece of paper right in front of me <laughs> I had Collateral. Michael Mann's Collateral at number five. I'm oh, sorry I was confused on the order there listeners. I do apologise. Uh, yeah, Michael Mann's Collateral at number five. At number four Adam Wingard's The Guest. Uh, at number three Clint Eastwood's High Play Drifter and number two uh, from director Bart Layton, the documentary The Imposter, and number one Alfred Hitchcock from 1951, Strangers on a Train. For me, it was number five, uh, Slicey Slicey, attempted baby stealing inside from uh, the French New Extremity uh, region of filmmaking back in the day. Uh, at number four is the same as Paul's Lockstep, which was uh, the guest, uh, fantastic Adam Wingard movie. Number three for me was Visitor Q, the weirder than weird Mika Takeshi comedy drama horror. Uh, at number two was Michael Haneke's 97 movie Funny Games. And at number one is David Lynch's Mole Holland Drive from 2000. And one. What a good time we had, Paul. We'll be back in just a moment with a little bit of a chat about what we're getting up to at the weekend. Right, and back we are with the final section of the show. Act three, if is, anything. Act three, yes, absolutely right. Which this time is what is called what we're doing at the weekends, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess. I guess it is. <laughs> Can be. Uh, so, I mean, you go first, Pete. What are you doing? You're doing something that's going to be considerably more challenging than what I'm doing, I think, to be well, perfectly honest. I, I don't know. Very different endeavours this weekend. What I would have been doing, Paul, as you know, is, is hanging out with you and doing the exact same thing, which would be attending the uh, fantastic film festival that you're going to talk about in a moment. But instead of that, uh, what I've, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, uh, signed myself up to do is run 21 kilometres around my hometown of, of Cheltenham uh, in the Cheltenham Half Marathon. Now, the reason I'm doing this is partly because I wanted a big challenge, and that certainly is what this is going to be, given that the longest I've ever competitively run is 1,500 metres. And that was about 20 years ago, Paul. Um in addition to that, I'm raising money for uh, the charity Arthritis Research UK. And at the moment, in case anybody listens to this, uh, cares about that cause, uh, is interested in that cause, or, or just generally what's going on with them at this time, I have a GoFundMe page, which is available via my Facebook. And maybe... I've just realised I haven't sponsored you any money on yet, so uh, oh, I better I, get on with I basically, <laughs> Paul, I basically just did this chat just to like pressure you into making a contribution. But Well yeah, played, sir. Well played. Ma maybe we'll, we'll throw that out on the strangers page or something like that in case anyone's interested. In, and, you know, behind, behind that is obviously... Any 
anyone and, and everyone who has suffered with arthritis at any point in their life and it from a self-interested point of view i suppose uh my wife-to-be who i will marry in just a few short weeks uh, was diagnosed when she was a teenager and is an absolute trooper so doesn't let it sort of drag her down or, or wreck her life but at the same time ain't no fun having arthritis uh, from sort of teenage years onwards so yeah if you can get involved in sport that'd be amazing if not just like spare a thought to, for me when i'm sort of dying on my feet on on sunday morning to sort of lunchtime hopefully not afternoon paul because i'm planning to do this thing in under the maximum amount of time that they're allowing good well best of luck to you pete um yeah i'm just about i don't even think i could run 5k again at the moment so you're doing really well um i will probably also be dying on my feet on sunday morning because i'll be recovering from the after party at x66 film festival um which is quite often as enjoyable as the film festival itself um, as we've spoken about on this show before. Um, and the fond memories of us driving back, Pete, I think, with us having, me having to wind the car window down and the window up, the window down, the window down. The well, window uh, up. And we listened to the, the, were, we yeah. listened to the Katy Perry track Dark Horse about 18 times just yes, to like manage yeah, just to, just to get through it. Hangover. So yes, um, after party aside, I'm very much looking forward to Exit this year. Um, as uh, regular listeners will know, um, I was very, very honoured to be asked to be part of the um, panel of initial judges this year. So uh, I think we watched, I certainly watched at least 90 different short films myself um, and myself and I think seven other judges, if I remember rightly, apologies if I'm incorrect there, uh, whittled down that list to I think the 40 odd that you will see um, at the film festival tomorrow. This has been recorded on a Friday, so that you'll see at the film festival on the weekend. So um, I've seen a lot of the films going into it. The standard is very, very high this year. Um, it was very, very difficult whittling down these films to, to the final films that we've selected. Um and part of me is a little bit nervous, to be honest, because if people don't enjoy the films they're seeing, I'm partially responsible for that um, because I was involved in, in, in picking the, the film. So, yeah, X66 Film Festival Invasion. So by the time this goes out, it probably would have happened. Um, so I will certainly talk about it more on next week's episode. But yeah, very excited about it. Um, very excited to be back in my hometown, meeting up with some old friends as well afterwards. Um, and it's yes, just nice to see film being represented in Basingstoke. And it's nice to see this film festival going from strength to strength every year um and obviously i'm a little bit biased now because i was involved with this year so i will uh will that's it that's what i'm doing at the weekend yeah and, and for anyone who's who's interested in what paul's talking about also if you go back in the archive of our episodes we've got um an interview that we did with amy burns amy jean burns who is what's the role there paul uh co coordinator what, what's her role I think so yeah yeah, yeah but let's say let's say amy very talented let's say she coordinates everything at that festival uh, but we interviewed her at last year's festival and that's available like I say in the archive that's on SoundCloud and elsewhere so uh, check that out but then surely Paul when you return um, hopefully in one piece from this thing you'll have plenty to say about the stuff that's gone down yes, at Exit 6 as well. Do my, so. I'll do my Exit 6 festival highlights so short film festival we used to talk about short films a lot on the show we don't so much anymore so it'd be nice to get back into that so yes I very much look forward to it talking about that more next week as i hiccup there listeners i do apologize um you you don't need to apologize for yourself sir you should stand tall stand proud uh i certainly will paul when i have uh, picked myself up off the pavement on sunday um yes it has been a lovely episode we have talked about uh the little stranger we've talked about movies including or featuring strangers and then we chat about what we're gonna do at the weekend i for one had a lovely time <laughs> um we will be back in a week's time and uh, by the way and i know we apologize for ourselves too much we are british and that is what we do uh, basically habitually uh, we are a little bit sorry 
because it's going out slightly later than we would have liked in the week. And we're going to get back into a, a sort of running a tighter ship. We've had yeah, a, so we'll record earlier next week. Yeah, we've, we've had an awful lot going on between the two of us of late. So um, we'll get back into uh, lockstep with the regular schedule as soon as humanly possible. But until then, um, yeah, this has been great. And I'll catch up with you next time as, as two will pull. Yeah, no worries. Uh, speak to you later. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Shut up and sit down.